welcome to another First Chapter Friday. This is Mrs. Johnson, and today I'm going to read the first chapter of The Detour by S.A. Bodine. And let me tell you what the AR is. AR is 4.4 and 7 points. So when I come back, we will do the first chapter. The first chapter. How often do you see a girl standing barefoot on a log by the side of the road, playing a flipping flute? Never. That's so often. Which is why my focus left the winding gravel for a split second too long, which turned out to be a way more than enough time to catch the tires of my red Audi convertible on the raised edge of the road, which I happen to be driving along much too fast. I never should have been on that godforsaken stretch of gravel road on that sunny June Friday in the first place. The smart thing would have been to listen to my mom and stay home to finish my novel, for the upcoming deadline. Instead, instead, I had caved in to my pride. I'm a real writer, Mom, an author, for God's sake. This is what authors do. Authors go to writing writing retreats. I left out the last part of that sentence, the part that continued on in my head long after my mouth had closed. Authors go to writing retreats. Also, all the wannabes who pay dearly for the privilege can suck up to us, fantasizing that they will be us one day. Several of my weekends that summer had been spent communing with the unpublished, oh my bad, sorry, the pre-published, the majority of whom are earnest, eager housewives, well over 30, who firmly believe that they are meant to be the next Stephanie Meyer. I had smiled as I stood in my room packing for the weekend retreat, the weekend retreat that I was getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to attend, because it was funny, really, that the joke was on all those middle-aged moms who didn't stand a chance. They were deluding themselves, thinking they were ever going to make money off their stupid stories and live the dream. The fame, the book tours, the fans. And I loved, relished even, that I was 17, less than half the age of most of them, and had already accomplished what none of them probably would ever, whatever, written a book, a trilogy in fact, for which a major publisher in New York City had paid me a whopping mid-six figures. Those people were all fooling themselves. I mean, seriously, what did they expect from me? That I was going to recommend them to my agent? give them a story idea, tell them how to write the book that would change their lives. There was no magic formula, and even if there was, I certainly wasn't going to give it up. I was 17 years old. At 15, I'd gotten a three-book deal, and at 16, I'd gone on a 12-city tour, chaptered, chaperoned by my mom and my own publisher-appointed handler. The first two books of my YA series had been on the New York Times bestseller list for 36 straight weeks and counting, and between them and my new movie deal, Steven Spielberg himself wanted to make, take me to dinner when I went to Hollywood in the fall. I was well on my way to having more than a million dollars in the bank. Well, most of it was in a trust, for when I was older, but I did get my hands on enough to write a check for the upcoming fall quarter at the University of Oregon, my dad's alma mater, where I would have a single room in the Global Scholars Hall, the most expensive dorm on campus. Pity the poor freshman on financial aid who'd be stuck in rooms barely larger than closets, eating crusted over macaroni and cheese in the dining hall, or boiling top ramen in the basements of their dorms, while I would be eating made-to-order sushi. My success only confirmed my feeling that if those so-called writers hadn't been able to do by 30 what I had done by 16, then they didn't deserve to be published, in my humble opinion. My mom had also let me take out enough money to buy a few things, like my bright red Birkin bag, which happened to perfectly match my convertible with Oregon vanity plates that read, Rider Girl, the same very car that lost a bit of stability when I hit the edge of the gravel road while going over 60 when I should have been going closer to 30. But it wasn't my fault that I was driving so fast. My unsafe rate of speed was a result of the fact that I was frustrated and very pissed off. 
The riding retreat was remote, back in the woods somewhere on the, on the highway between my home and Bend and the city of Eugene. But near the end of the trip, I hit a detour. And the car's state-of-the-art GPS kept telling me, in a lovely British accent that sounded almost like J.K. Rowling, to continue straight, while my gut screamed that a quick and tidy U-turn was the better option. So I had been on the gravel road for about six miles, sun beaming down on my head. J.K.'s continue straight, serenading me every now and then. When I finally shouted into the open air, This sucks! I am seriously turning around. But then, rounding the next turn, the log came into view. The log with the girl standing on it. The girl's long, dark pigtails contrasted with the white of her Hello Kitty t-shirt. There were holes in the knees of her faded jeans. As she balanced, her bare feet molded around the moss-covered log. Her neatly bent arms held the flute at perfect attention for a conductor visible only to her. What struck me was most her expression. Her eyes were dark and narrowed, as if she was angry. I don't know if it was the sight of that furious flute-playing girl standing on a green log at the edge of the woods, or the fact that my writer's mind immediately began asking questions. Why is a girl playing the flute on that log, and why does she look mad? Whatever the cause, the moment of lost concentration led to the tires catching the side of the road. Without warning, the world churned. I screamed. The blue of the sky and the green of the treetops were juxtaposed in a rush of crunching metal. The side airbags punched out and kept me from getting crushed, but even as they cushioned my left side, the front airbag didn't deploy. My head smashed against the steering wheel and all went dark. I came to with a start and a gasp. I wasn't sure how much time had gone by. The sun was still high in the sky. My teeth didn't feel fuzzy, so I hadn't been out that long. A few minutes, maybe. But everything was different. I hung upside down, hugged by the seatbelt. My white camisole and gray cashmere sweater bunched down around my bust. My position, along with the per pervasive smell of gasoline, made the contents of my stomach, a nasty tuna sandwich on sourdough, begin to creep their way up my throat. J.K. Rowling sounded haggard, yet also very determined as she persistently announced, Recalculating route. Recalculating route. I felt as if someone had taken a hammer to my head. I started to raise my left hand, but cried out the pain in my shoulder and realized I had better move more slowly, or maybe not move at all. I blinked a few times. The light hurt my eyes, so I kept them shut. Recalculating route. Shut up. I wiggled my toes and kept going. Twirling my ankles, bending knees, everything seemed okay except for my left shoulder and my head. Once I got out of the car, I was going to be fine. A little banged up, maybe, but I could probably use the experience as inspiration for another book, eventually. Or maybe if I milked the drama, it could get covered as a news story. KGW in Portland, maybe even sell, maybe even the Today Show. How many books would Sympathy sell? As soon as I was upright, I would get my publicist on it. And then I heard someone, something besides JK, and the tickling of the engine, and the beating of my own heart. The sound was not coming from the, from the car. The tone was too steady, high-pitched, fluttering. A soundtrack to a documentary about fairies and small woodland creatures. Was that a... Despite the pain in my head, I opened my eyes, wincing as I blinked. The girl with the flute stood there in the grass at the side of the road, looking down at me as she played her instrument. Please, I said, can you help me get out of here? I tried to unbuckle my seatbelt, but my entire weight pushed down against it. I couldn't brace myself with my bad shoulder. I need a hand here. The girl kept playing her flute. Are you kidding me? Then still playing, she stepped closer to me. As she trilled, her lips pursed, fingers flying. She reached out a foot and put it through the open window, poking my bare stomach with her dirty toes. None too gently, I might add. Was she brain damaged? Even though I was in pain and wanted to bawl, I realized flute girl might be the only thing that stood between my staying in that car forever or my getting help and making it home. So I swallowed the swelling animosity at her utter ignorance 
or absolute lack of compassion or whatever her issue was, forced half a smile onto my face and injected an entire dose of false cheer into my voice. Yeah, I'm kind of stuck here. Driving too fast. Stupid, I know. But I'm pretty sure I'm hurt. So if you could, at last, flute girl, stop playing. Help me get my inane rambling tapered off. She slowly lowered her flute and squatted next to the car. We were nearly eye to eye, although I was still upside down and beginning to see spots. She set the flute down on the grass beside her, so gently, laying it there as if it were made of eggshells. The tenderness of her actions sent a wave of relief through me. I let out a breath. She's going to help me. Flute girl's gaze rested on the flute, as if reluctant to leave the precious instrument for even a moment. She sighed before turning her full attention to me. That's it. I think if you help me unhook, I trailed off. Because that was when I noticed something, a small detail that despite my raging headache and the pain in my shoulder and the barely faded terror at rolling my freaking car, managed to cause a chill to run down on my aching spine. I had been wrong about her eyes. They weren't the eyes of someone who was angry or pissed off or slightly annoyed. Those eyes were just plain mean. Then Flute Girl smiled at me, revealing a, cap, a gap between her two front teeth, a smile that would have been endearing on anyone else in the world. On anyone else, that smile would have been reassuring, telling me, everything will be okay, you are safe. But on her, that smile was god-awful sinister. She picked up a stick about as thick as a good-sized snake and wielded it like a baseball bat, her fists tightening around it with none of the care she, show she showered on her flute. And before my vision started swimming and I passed out, the last thing I saw was Flute Girl swinging that club straight at my head. I see in the chapter one of The Detour by S.A. Bodine. I don't know if you've read other her books. She's read, um, or she wrote The Compound, and she wrote Fallout, and the, the Gardener, and The Raft. And we have all those in the library. So I hope you enjoyed this first chapter Friday. We'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.